Welcome back here to J. Tom Lawlerinka at Merrimack College with a score at the end of the second period of play. It is Dartmouth 1 and Merrimack 1. I'm Mike Macknick with John Leahy, second in admission here. We are joined by Mike McMahon from College Hockey News, the MacReport.com, Eagle Tribune, NeutralZone.net, College Hockey Insider, and, uh, and whatever else it is. But, uh, folks, I, I should also mention, by the way, you know, if you're looking for uh, those last-minute Christmas gifts, uh, you could do a lot worse than a subscription to the Mac Report or the College Hockey Insider. So, uh, Mike, why don't you quickly tell folks how they can do that? It's a great deal for one thing. Uh, just go to Mac, themacreport.com, real simple. All the coverage is there, uh, all the links are there, and you can get yourself signed up. So that's for Merrimack coverage, but you've also got all college hockey in general. So you got yeah. a real lot of stuff there. You know, if folks have followed you at all on Twitter or what have you, and a lot of stuff there that uh, uh, you're not going to find anywhere else. So how can they sign up for that? Uh, well, the, if you sign up for the Mac Report, you'll get all the hockey East related stuff. All that will go on both. Uh, the more national stuff is just at collegehockeyinsider.com. So it's kind of split into two. But uh, if you're if you're a subscriber of the Mac Report, you'll get Merrimack and hockey. East. Well, uh, two periods of play here. Score is one to one. We're just talking off the air. Merrimack second periods have not been very good this year. So uh, even though they got unofficially 16 shots uh, in that first period and that second period rather, and didn't score uh, to get out of that second period and go into the third, I guess in a one-one game, a tie game here at home where they've generally played their best hockey in, in the third period this season is not a bad position to be in. It's not. That was kind of a weird period too. I mean, a lot of flow, which is good, but not a lot of whistles. I think we had like a six or seven minute stretch there at the beginning of the period without a whistle, uh, which just kind of cuts down, I think, on chances, you know, cuts down on offensive zone draws, cuts down on some possession in the zone. Uh, they, they had some chances there late, obviously a, a real prime one with about 10 seconds left, but uh, yeah, I, I think you got to be feeling pretty good about where you're at right now. Uh, shots on goal, 25-16. I think attempts I looked before I came over here were 58-24. Have had plenty of chances, just got to find a way to put a couple of them in the net. Yeah, as Merrimack goes into the break here, I feel like a major concern certainly had to be that they, other than that the Team USA game the other night with the eight goals, scoring has really dropped off. You have the two goal, two goals in back-to-back games in which they lost by the score three to two uh, against the Union and then against UMass. Only the one goal here tonight through two periods. Uh, you know, I guess only three at Holy Cross, but uh, you know, the team that earlier was scoring a little more than that, uh, scoring for whatever reason. You know, they're getting chances, right? And I think we've seen this most of these games that, that they have gotten chances, but the pucks are not going in the net. I, I got to think that that's one of the prime areas that they're looking to improve as they would come back after the break for the second half of the season. Yeah, and one of the things I like about, especially about tonight, is just the shot volume. I'm a big fan of shot volume. I think it can help kind of bridge the gap uh, if you if there's a skill gap between you and your opponent, which in Merrimack's case, some nights there are, especially when you're playing BC and BU and some of those top teams in the league, Lowell, Northeastern, Providence. Uh, one of the ways you can kind of bridge that gap is just by having more chances, right? I mean, the more pucks you put on net, the more chances you give yourself to put a puck in. Not necessarily even on the first shot. Maybe it hits a leg and you get a rebound, whatever. Uh, and they've done that tonight. I mean, they had 25 shot attempts in the first, like, 13 minutes of the game, which is a page you're not going to keep up all night. I mean, that would have been well over 100 shot attempts. You're not going to see that. But, uh, you know, I think just volume in general, 50, almost 60 shot attempts through two periods. You know, they're on pace right now to, to push high 80s, low 90s in this game, which is a lot of shot attempts. Uh, I think that's what you want to see from them moving forward, just because that can that's going to generate more offense for you. We saw it with, with Penn State, really, since they became a program. Uh, they're always up there, one of the top teams in the country as far as shots on goal and shot attempts. And I think it's how they generate their offense. Because Penn State, they have some good players, uh, you know, but they're not attracting the most 
most skilled players in the Big Ten. Those guys generally go to Wisconsin, Minnesota, schools like that. Uh, Michigan, obviously, as we've seen this year. So that's been a way where they've kind of bridged the gap. And in some years, when they're close enough, they, they get themselves into the NCAA tournament. So I think shot volume is important, and, and they're throwing a lot of pucks at the net tonight, which I think is promising. Yeah, if you look at the lines the other night against the, uh, the Team USA, uh, you know, in those games, uh, or rather in that game last week, some of those lines together, like in particular the Capone line, you know, with Jeffries and Walsher there, and that's a combination that, that we hadn't seen before. Uh, they were pretty hot on that night and kept together again tonight. They've got the only goal. Uh, they had a, you know, could have had chances for two or three other goals as well. Uh, that seems like a, a line combination that maybe we wouldn't have seen if not for that game against the, the exhibition game against the under-18 team, but we did, and, and now it's one of their top lines. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about that, you know, right after that first goal was scored. You, know, you might have something here, especially considering, like you said, without those guys, without resting some of your older players, which I did against the under-18 team, you probably wouldn't have seen those three guys together. Uh, and you may have actually found something that works really well. Both cha- oh, the, the goal and then a couple of chances later on in the first period, they had some nice chances coming out of the corner. You know, either Welsh or Capone wins the puck out of the corner and then gets the puck in front. Jeffries won the puck out of the corner, got the puck in front to, to, to Welsh for that first goal. Uh, they had a couple of other shots, same type of thing, coming out of that corner over there by the Zamboni door and just working a puck to the front of the net. Real simple. It, Jeffries is going to have so many chances because of how skilled he is and how well he can skate. He's going to generate so many opportunities for himself. Uh, I think the exciting thing if you're back Welsh or Matt Capone is it's going to create opportunities for, for you as well, right? Especially with how tenacious they are in front of the net. If they can get themselves to the net front, they usually do a pretty good job of doing that. Jeffries, more often than not, is going to find a way to get the puck there. We're talking with Mike McMahon here in the second intermission with Merrimack and Dartmouth tied up by the by the score of one to one. You know, as you mentioned, uh, you don't only cover Merrimack; you also cover college hockey as a whole, hockey East and college hockey as a whole. You know, you're you're certainly a great person to get perspective on this. But we chatted in the first intermission with Bob Gaudet, and you know, I look at the folks like him, and you know, Dickie Milley, of course, Jack Parker, those guys. A lot of guys, right? You know, and you live on the North Shore. All those guys are from the North Shore, right? You know, that had coached and you know, so instrumental. In the, in the college game, in particular, you know, Eastern college hockey over the last 20 to 30 years, or, or if not more in many cases, uh, you know, to Cahoon and so on uh, at Princeton and UMass. Um, you know, it, it, I kind of wonder the future of, of, the, of the game, you know, as to all those people who I, I felt like have all had a real, uh, you know, it's been important to them just beyond their school, the sport itself. You know, they've always had that mindset of, uh, you know, what's good for the game, what, you know, helping to grow the game, helping to make sure things are done the right way and so on. So I think one of the things, you know, it remains to be seen, it's an unknown, is what happens here going forward, you know. And and, then I look at a guy like Reed Cashman, who they've tapped to, you know, obviously take over here at Dartmouth. And and you know what? He strikes me as one of those people that could, you know, he's certainly uh, one of the younger coaches, up-and-coming coaches here in college hockey, as somebody who could, you know, fill that role, I think, as he gets maybe more familiar with it and, uh, you know, understanding, uh, you know, what's going on and so on. Uh, You know, how do you see that whole situation, that whole dynamic as, as things have changed over the years and we've seen over the last, you know, you know, Jerry York's going to retire soon, for example, you know, as more and more of these longtime coaches who have been, uh, I've referred to Bob Goddard as, you know, a steward of the program at Dartmouth, but he's also been a steward of the game of college hockey, and that's what all those guys have been as well. 
there's going to be a difference. There's going to be some guys that are, that are only going to be out for their own program, for sure. I mean, this is not a universal thing that you can say they're all going to be looking out for the good of the game, but I think some are. And, and a really good example has come over the last week. Uh, you look at Quinnipiac, Grand Pecknold, a program that's the best team in the East, I think, this year, uh, at least so far. Uh, has been, too, over the last couple of years. They don't have to go to LIU, but they did. This past week, LIU is a, a team without a conference yet. They're an independent. They're trying to fill games. Uh, they're, they're playing in a decent rink at the Islanders' practice facility down on Long Island, but it's really hard for them to get home games. Uh, most of their home games have been Division Three opponents. Quinnipiac played a home-and-home with them last weekend. Not far, not a far ride for Quinnipiac, for sure, uh, but at the same time, Rand Pecknell could have went and told Brett Riley, both these games are going to be played at our rink. Sorry. And, and LIU really wouldn't have had a choice. <laughs> they need to fill games. Uh, but he was willing to do that. Uh, Dave Smith, this past weekend... Uh, with RPI, or just finished it, I think, on Wednesday, went out and played four games against Alaska. Another school that, that needs home games. Playing as an independent. Uh, those are those are two examples of, I think, just right off the top of my head, of, of guys that uh, are looking out for the good of the game and, and being willing to take their program on the road. I mean, four games in Alaska in five days is not an easy <laughs> it's not an easy trip, right? Uh, but they need games, and, and they can't play all of them on the road. Uh, so I think it's it's that tells me something when you have guys like that that are out and willing to give schools like that a home game that really need it, really. And uh, that, that to me is a good sign. And, and not everybody, and there's other examples of other teams going to those schools as well. Those are just, they both happened this past weekend, so they stand out. Uh, and then there's others, you know, that are going to only want to play non-conference home games and they're only going to be worried about their program. You're going to have a couple of those. Uh, but I think there's going to be enough guys that exist that are, are looking out for for the rest of the game as a whole that, that I think it'll be okay. But it, it, you never know, right? You never really know until you kind of get into the weeds a little bit. But uh, there's there's some promise there. Hey, before we let you go, uh, big news that just came out. Was it today? Robert Morris is yeah. going to be back. They're going to play again in a couple of years. Uh, tell us what's going on. Yeah, so they were, they were cut back in May um, <laughs> in a very weird release where the school uh, announced that they were cutting the program and then in the same release, two paragraphs later, touted how much money they had and how they hit a fundraising goal and enrollment was at an all-time high. It's very strange. Uh, but they, they through an effort by their alumni uh, and their head coach, Derek Schooley, uh, they were able to raise the funds necessary to, to reinstate the program. They announced it today. Uh, they're going to come back in 2023, which is which is great. Uh, they're not in Atlantic hockey anymore, technically, right now. Atlantic hockey removed them from the league when they cut their program. So uh, Atlantic Hockey is going to meet next week to see what was going to happen there. Uh, they're coming back in 2023, which is great news. Uh, and so we don't know yet if they'll have to come back as an independent or as a don't. member of Atlantic Hockey. Yeah, we don't. Uh, from what I understand, the, the league officials are going to meet next week, and that's on the on the docket uh, as far as discussion goes. So that'll be something that will be determined. But but hopefully they can get back in the league and they'll be uh, you know, sustainable moving forward. All right, well, that's great news to hear just before Christmas. So. Mike, thanks again, uh, folks. Check out his work, uh, as we mentioned earlier. And, uh, again, the MacReport.com is a good place to start. Uh, Mike, wish you Merry Christmas. Thanks for all you've done for us uh, and for coming on and joining us. And I guess we'll talk to you again in the new year. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. Mike McMahon, our guest here with the score. Merrimack 1, Dartmouth 1. Back with more right after this. This is Warrior Hockey.